The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. Greetings, scribes. Just a quick break to recommend our recent sponsor's Book of the Month. Book of the Month makes reading better by offering members a few new book selections each month to help you cut through the noise, save time, and make it easier to decide what to read next. Each month, the editorial team reads through hundreds of new titles and picks five to seven of the best new books for you to choose from. All of these books are good, so you really can't go wrong. Book of the Month helps readers like you and I find books that we wouldn't normally discover on our own. The cool part is selections largely focus on new and upcoming authors in multiple genres. Book of the Month also recently launched curated audiobooks, so members can get a hardcover or an audiobook each month, which you can then download and listen to right in the app. This month, I chose A Little Supernatural Fair in Murder Road by New York Times bestselling author Simone St. James, described as the story of a young couple that find themselves haunted by a string of gruesome murders committed along an old deserted road in this terrifying new novel. Just go to bookofthemonth.com to pick your first book and join Book of the Month. That's bookofthemonth.com. And for a limited time, you can join and get that first book for just $9.99 with the code CHIRP. That's C-H-I-R-P. Enjoy. Greetings, scribes. This week's episode of The Writer Files is brought to you by New Media Dojo. Thinking about starting a podcast or just want to up your sound quality? Make a sound impression with New Media Dojo and inquire today about all of your podcast production needs. Just head over to newmediadojo.com to talk podcast. That's newmediadojo.com. Nobody writes a book. You write one page or two pages. If you thought about the, all the, the number, how long it is, you just wouldn't be able to do it, wouldn't, wouldn't be able to face it. So it's all about focus. And I think writer's block is focusing on the wrong problem, maybe too big a problem, or you gotta move to the left or to the right or somewhere else to get beyond that. And welcome back to The Writer Files. This is your humble host, Kelton Reed, wishing you pages, patience, and perseverance per usual. Award-winning journalist and best-selling biographer, Lawrence Lemur, spoke to me about getting banned from Mar-a-Lago why book proposals are basically a con job, and Truman Capote's women, and terminal writer's block. Lawrence is best known as the New York Times bestselling author of multiple celebrity biographies, including the trilogy, The Kennedy Women, The Kennedy Men, and Sons of Camelot. His latest, Capote's Women, a true story of love, betrayal, and a swan song for an era, was named one of 2021's most anticipated books by People, the New York Post, and Town and & Country, among others. The book's been described as an in-depth exploration of the complex web of relationships and scandalous true stories behind Truman Capote's never-published final novel, Answered Prayers. Publishers Weekly wrote of the book, Lemur showcases his knack for telling a rattling good tale and this vivid look at Truman Capote's failed attempt to write the greatest novel of the age. In this file, Lawrence and I discussed the advice, if your books aren't controversial, you're doing it wrong. Why writers always answer the phone on the first ring, over research and God's greatest gift to writers, the difference between living and dead biography subjects, and a lot more. And stay calm and write on. And don't forget, you can support this show by heading to writerfiles.fm 
If you're a fan of The Writer Files, please click follow to automatically see new interviews in your podcatcher as soon as they're published. And please drop us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to help other writers find us. All right, we are rolling on The Writer Files. Once again, I am very honored today to be joined by best-selling author, journalist, Lawrence Lemer joins us today. Thanks for taking the time to do this. Well, thanks for having me. I cannot wait to pick your brain about all things writing and the writing process. We don't have a lot of uh, biographers on the show, which is really cool experience for us to get to talk to you about that. But I and I also can't wait to talk about your latest Capote's Women. Um, of course, it's kind of it's kind of a win 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 because Capote was um, he was a literary uh, lion of sorts and definitely literary royalty and. I think uh, you actually met him in person. Is that is that right? No, no, he had, he had long passed on. No, I no, I didn't meet him. I knew I knew his Joanne Carson. The, who he's Truman died in her arms. I, I know her very well. Right, right, because he had written kind of the definitive biography on her husband, right, Johnny Carson. Um, another fascinating story unto itself. But um, yeah, uh, let's just get your kind of superhero origin story as a journalist and as a lauded biographer and, and author kind of give us the cliffs notes of you know how you realized you wanted to make a living doing this uh tedious work but yeah when, when did you realize you wanted to be a writer and then kind of uh the run-up to that first magnificent uh, best-selling uh tome of yours well first of all uh I don't consider it tedious work. If I did, <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't do it well. And anybody, I mean, anybody, any profession. If you're a cook, I mean, I would consider it a, it a tedious work to be a chef and to and do all that. But the chefs, they don't feel that way. They're, they're totally into it. And I, and yeah. I'm that way about the whole process of writing. And I kind of uh, I found it something. I could do psychologically. I'm I'm an observer. I'm comfortable when I'm on the edge of things, looking on. If I go to a party and there's somebody I want to interview, or I've got some 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 sources I'm looking for. I'm totally into it. And I enjoy it. If I go to the party and I have to enjoy myself and and enter, be entertaining, I don't enjoy it at all. So I found hmm. something I do uh, that I happen to do well, and I'm very disciplined about it, and I work very hard. I understand you went to the University of Oregon. Yeah, for graduate school. I, did. I went to went to Antioch as an undergrad, and then I went to University of Oregon, I went, and then I went to Columbia University. And that's how I became, yeah. basically, wanted to become a writer. I had a Ford Fellowship at Oregon to study international development, and it was so boring and tedious. I took a course <laughs> in magazine writing and talked my way into George Wallace's plane when the governor of Alabama and the presidential candidate came north for the first time. Spent a week with him, sent an article into the New Republic, and they published it. And wow, that should be studying. Studying. So you know, I did some more pieces and got a fellowship to Columbia, and that, that that's what I did from then on. The rest is history. Yeah. So talk about kind of your um, storied career in journalism, and you kind of called it the end of the golden age of literary journalism. How did that um, affect your? process and your writing and then you know kind of talk about the transition into the longer biographies that you're most uh renowned for well the most exciting thing in 
the literary world, when I was in the late 60s, were these long narrative pieces of journalism doing. Tom Wolfe was doing his brilliant work. Norman Malley was doing incredible work. Gay Talese, a whole bunch of writers that were doing this. That was exciting to me. And I got into that. I became a freelance magazine writer. I wrote for Harper's, Playboy, Times Magazine, Washingtonian. But I had a heck of a time making a living doing that. And so that evolved into writing books. And um, talk about kind of that first longer biography and a little bit about the process behind that. And, and you know, were you, did you run up against some feelings of like, am I going to be able to do this? Am I going to be able to, to make a longer? Because you must have been putting, you know, I don't know, months and years into this. Nobody writes a book. You write one page or two pages. If you thought about the all the, the number, how long it is, you just wouldn't be able to do it. Wouldn't we? Wouldn't be able to face it. So it's all about focus. And I think writer's block is focusing on the wrong problem, maybe too big a problem, or you got to move to the left or to the right or somewhere else to get beyond that. Well, that's probably a great segue into your latest um, Capote's Women. Of course, um, already uh, a bestseller and, and quite a bit of critical acclaim. How are you feeling now that uh, your latest baby is out in the world? Well, n- knock on wood. <laughs> it's, so far, it's gotten the best reviews of my life. I mean that there's not a single, so far, so far, there's not even a <laughs> single, single negative sentence in any of the reviews. And any Amazing. author knows that just doesn't happen because critics have to <laughs> stick some nasty word in there to show they have integrity. But so far, so far, not, 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 not so who, who knows? The one big left supposedly is the New York Times. Theoretically, it's it's sitting there. They're going to maybe maybe they won't run it. But let's so <laughs> I hope that keeps my track record intact. That's interesting. I mean, I know you've said in the past, like if your books aren't controversial, you're doing it wrong. Well, that's exactly right. Yeah. In in this contemporary world, if if, if everybody loves you, you messed up. You're not telling the truth. <laughs> and, and all of my books are controversial. I mean, my last book, Mar-a-Lago, which is about Donald Trump, that got me banned from Mar-a-Lago for life. Uh, and people, you know, my book, Madness Under the Royal Palm is about Palm Beach. People would read that with a different cover on. I mean, you got me banned from the, the from the Palm Beach Daily News for for for, for years. Okay, it, it was that controversial. And this book, you know, to me, it's not controversial, but uh, it, it has an edge to it. And I and I like I like my writing to have an edge. Um, well, let's talk about the biggest uh, piece of writer's block covered in in the book, and talk a, a little bit about. Um, yeah, Truman Capote's uh, writer's block. Well, there, there's the ultimate. You want to talk, talk about 20th century American literature. There's the ultimate. You know, in 1958, on this island off Greece, he decided he was going to write this novel called Answered Prayers about the, the seven, but a number of the wealthiest, most beautiful women in, 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 the, in the world that he knew to tell their story. And he was never able to do it. He, in, in 1976, he wrote a nasty piece in Esquire, an excerpt from it, which was kind of sad and unworthy, unworthy of him. So for some reason, we, we, you never know ultimately why he couldn't do it. What I would have, if I had known Truman, what I would have done is I would have said, Truman, this isn't going to work out. Go back and write the story of your failure 
to write this book, write that book. You do that and you'll have your masterpiece. And he could have done that. Yeah, it's a pretty fascinating examination of of this uh, truly, truly great writer who just kind of ran up against his own limitations, I guess. And, and probably a lot of it had to do with, you know, psychology, don't you think? Well, I mean, think of the struggles. This five foot two inch gay man from a little town in Alabama comes to New York. He hardly has a high school education. Yeah. And he becomes a, this literary phenomenon. Uh, and, and just being a gay man at that time. I mean, I had a friend that was a, an officer in the Navy in World War II, and his job was to find gays, groups of gays, and put them in, put them in prison. I mean, it was illegal to be gay in, in, in most of America. And, and, but Truman stood up. He was, a, he was a proud gay man. He wasn't political, but his life was a political statement. And, that, and, and you pay a price doing that. I mean, Norman Mailer once saw him on the street and they went in, they wanted to have a drink. So they, there's an Irish bar there. Well, an Irish bar in the 50s, if you're, if you're gay, you don't want to walk in there, I'm telling you. <laughs> you, know, you don't want to do that. So, But they walked in. And, and Norman Mailer said just how gutsy Truman was. He just walked the back and sat down as if he owned the place. I mean, that's the way he lived. <laughs> but, and Mailer said, I couldn't live like this for one day. And, and Mailer thought he was a pretty tough guy. Well, you've rubbed elbows with some literary lions and, and, um, you know, you've, you've captured some of the spirit of what Capote was best at, right? He was, he was kind of a fly on a wall, uh, to a lot of, um, truly powerful and, and famous people and would somehow, as you put it, like ingratiate himself, um, into these social circles where he didn't, where he, you know, wouldn't necessarily have belonged, but would somehow kind of blend in, right? But he knew, as a gay man, that he, he could be thrown out at any moment. But um, coming kind of full circle to the storytelling piece, talk a little bit about, you know, that that time when Capote was truly considered at the top of his game. You know, you must have studied his not only his psychology, but also his, uh, his own writing process and, and talk a little bit about kind of how it relates to, to, um, you know, what, what you've learned about him and also, you know, kind of how you approach the craft yourself. Well, he, 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 he tended to write, he wrote by hand in, in, in notebooks. Okay. That mm-hmm. was, which even then was kind of unusual. And, uh, he just, he was very intense I mean, in, in, I, I come, I come back to to to, be, to being an observer. He was the most brilliant observer. He could have made it. He could have been one of the best narrative nonfiction writers of our age too. I mean, he went to mm-hmm. Russia for the New Yorker and, and uh, did a story about the the first company of Porgy and Bess going there in in, in the communist era. And uh, gosh, he just missed nothing. Wherever he was, he he, he saw the tiny details. And and writing to me. Is is in the it's it, it's it's in the tiny details. You got if you get those details right, the bigger things will take care of themselves. Hey, I just want to take a quick break to remind listeners that you can now sign up for the Writer Files Extra email newsletter and have new episodes delivered straight to your inbox. I'm sending added insights, links to curated collections of shows, and the first shot at Writer Files merch. Sign up today at writerfiles.fm. You'll find the Writer Files extra sign-up form, a link to the show archives, and more about my indie podcast production company, 
New Media Dojo. Just type writerfiles.fm into your browser and I'll drop that link in the show notes. I'd also like to ask for your continued support to help keep this show going. As the sole host and producer of the show, it's been largely a labor of love these last few years. And through the generosity of listeners like you, we can get back to a regular weekly slate of interviews. And a huge shout out to those of you who recently donated. I'm moved by the outpouring of support, both large and small. So when you sign up for the free email newsletter at writerfiles.fm, you'll see a donate button there to securely support the show through PayPal. Every donation, no matter the size, makes a big difference. If we provide content to you that is valuable in any way, please consider a one-time or small monthly donation. If you want the newsletter, info about merch, to support the show or learn more about starting your own podcast, go to writerfiles.fm. Thank you, as always. Back to the show. Well, let's talk about the process behind Capote's Women. And, you know, I'd be fascinated to hear about your unique research process and then kind of when at the outset of a project as uh, complete and, and as extensive as Capote's Women, how do you approach the, the research piece before you, you know, are truly getting into a kind of a flow where you're, where you're actually getting pages? Well, first of all, <laughs> when you write a proposal, a proposal, proposal is basically a con job. You don't know if you can do this, right? <laughs> but, you, but you do this thing and you look at my God, and then you get the contract and you think, what the hell did I do? I, I'm not going to be able to do this. So so then you start out. And, and, and some writers, I have a friend, Nigel Hamilton, who's a distinguished biographer, and he researches and writes at the same time. I generally do my research and, 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 then, and then I write. And I, and I research until... Whatever I'm learning, it's something I've learned before. Interesting. Can you can you uh, elaborate a little bit on that? You need to leave so much on the cutting room floor. You have to get rid of you. Just you you you, you kind of over research because you've got to get to these gems that are going to make this thing work. Mm. You've got to so you, so you have the right stories and you, and you tell it right mm-hmm. and and you do it uh, and you do it. Um, you don't think about what you're doing. You just start writing, and then I thought, my gosh, I write that. That's pretty good. I mean, how could I have done that? I always often have that feeling. Mm. So, so there's an element of, and I've heard this before, where, you, where as a writer, you're surprising yourself, and that has to do with the creative process because you've, you know, you've basically synthesized this material where your brain in the background is doing some of the work for you. Right, and, and beyond that, chronology is God's gift to the writer, okay? Be, mm-hmm. Beware to do away with chronology, because magical things happen if you follow an individual through their life, but whether it's a month of it or a week, just follow through time, and magical things mm-hmm. happen. Mm-hmm. Can you elaborate on that? Well, because, because you're showing the development of human character. So the best way to do that is chronologically. So let, let's see what happened next. Let's see what Truman happened. Let, let's follow him through as he f- goes through his days. I mean, it's just sort of postmodern, modern, put this thing in in different form. Well, maybe it's the, the critics like that. But, but the traditional idea of chronology, it says something what life is and what you do matters day after mm-hmm. day. Yeah, that's pretty fascinating. Talk a little bit about kind of Capote's relationship with Harper Lee and, you know, they were, they were from the same place and knew each other uh, when they were younger. And then, you know, they, they had both kind of changed quite a bit, I think, 
in the um, research for In Cold Blood. Talk a little bit about the development of that relationship and, you know, maybe, maybe not especially under a microscope because that's covered in the work, but talk about how, talk about that relationship and, and have you had similar relationships? Because they're, you know, they're both obviously very famous um, American authors who, you know, for better or worse, maybe parted, parted ways or whatever. Have you had similar relationships in your own life where you've well, m- met authors maybe who were... Well, I have a, I have a group. They, for some reason, they call it Lamer's Table, okay? And we have it, uh, sometimes we have, we, do, we, we started having it before the pandemic. And it's a group of, of eight or nine writers in Washington, D.C., authors. And uh, during the pandemic, we have it every, we have it every Thursday night on, on, on Zoom. And uh, I can't tell you what having these writers are my friends, they're, they're my closest friends. And they're just the most terrific. And I love writers, because I, 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 I understand the challenge of what they do, and and and, and, I'm, and I'm so proud of their work. So to have this group of, of friends is just uh, just couldn't be better. Couldn't be better. Yeah, and and yeah, talk talk a little bit about the importance of that. But beyond that, you know, how does it buoy maybe the process, buoy the maybe, maybe not the creativity, but just the. I don't know, just the, the ability to kind of persevere. Well, look, it's a very lonely process, right? You spend all your time by yourself yeah, in, in, in a room, right? It's, it's kind of, gosh, this is your life. In fact, every author I know answers the phone the, the same way. And the first ring, because you're so <laughs> desperate to have somebody to interrupt your solitude. I grab my hand. I want to, I try to wait till the, till the second ring at least. <laughs> People won't know how desperate I am to talk to them, whoever they are. Okay. So, so, so yeah. So to have somebody that shares that process with you, uh, they're the only people who can under, truly understand you on, on, on any deep level. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, writing Capote's Women was probably a little bit of a departure for you because so many uh, in your prolific nonfiction career, so many of your biographies have um, covered living people. So you've had the ability to, you know, get into a room with them or, or you know, right. folks that, that are very close with them. Talk a little bit about the difference between writing writing this particular piece as opposed to, say, writing a piece um, about, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger? Well, I mean, the primary difference is you don't have to worry about libel suits, right? You can, you got to be <laughs> right. careful. You can Arnold Schwarzenegger. No, no, I don't see that. that I, I don't see that. Uh, that is a difference. I think what you have mm-hmm. to do is you, you have to empathize. You have to empathize in your interviews. If, if I'm going to interview you, I may not, I may not have, I may instinctively not like you. Okay. But, but I'm going to find something in you I like. I'm going to find some similarity, and I'm going to focus on that. And out of that, I'm going to build an empathy, and I'm going to get a, and I'm going to get a good good interview out of that. And I'm going to use that same empathy with when, with what I wrote. Now, the most successful book I've ever had was the, was the, the Kennedy Women, which is the number New York number two New York Times bestseller. It's a massive mm-hmm. 900 page book, and uh, people afterwards said, "Larry, I don't think a man." could have written that book. A, a, only a woman could understand these women and write that. Well, hmm. that to me is the highest compliment I, I could ever get. Now, on this book, I felt I had to write it 
with to some extent a gay sensibility. Okay, mm-hmm. so so I'm I'm not gay, but 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 I I had I felt you know this this is how this is how this has to be written. I've got to understand that there's 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 a gay sense of style often. Uh, there's a gay edge to things, okay, and 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 so I try to write that book with, like 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 that, and uh, you know it's getting a big audience in in the in the gay world. Yeah, so talk a little bit about I don't know embodying, as you say, you know, kind of incorporating this empathy into Capote's uh, life, and obviously the kind of the tumultuous end um, or the decline, as it were. Yeah, you know, as you said, you kind of wanted to sh- to grab them and shake them and tell them how to how to finish this novel, right? Somebody asked me if you if you saw Truman, what would what would you say? I'd say Truman, I love you. Okay, you you spend all this time with this person. I just admire you. You had such an extraordinary life, and I don't want you to be remembered be remembered for your dissipated days at the end. That's not what you are, Truman. You're a magnificent artist, and that's what I want to know you as. Well, congratulations on the work. And yeah, your latest has been embraced and, and is getting quite a bit of critical acclaim. Um, you must be really kind of enjoying this moment. What are what are you looking at as a future uh, subject? Are you Do you have anything in the works? Are you doing more, um, focusing on more journalism or are you taking a break no i've got two I, I don't take a break i'm happy if i don't take a break ask my wife she wants <laughs> i better be busy so i've got two ideas one my publisher really wants me to do the other one i'm kind of interested so, so I'll, I'll i'll get busy on a new project fairly soon okay we'll keep it hush hush for now but uh yeah, talk maybe just from the process piece. We didn't really bring that to closure, but talk about your when, once the research is done and once you're getting into a flow state, what is your most prolific hour look and feel like to you? Look, most people think they want to be writers. They don't want to be writers. They want to have written. They want to do what I'm doing right now with you. Okay, they want to go into they want to go into the bookstore and see their book. They don't want to put in the endless hours you have to put in it, and, and, and that's what it is. It's just there's there's no one hour during the day. I just get up. Maybe I've had a few drinks, too many drinks the night before. I don't care. I get up. I'm before I'm before that computer. I mean, I was uh, I'm going to be on PBS an hour long interview with me for the week of December fifth, and it was filmed in Key West, and we and we began. We went to the to the Hemingway house. They, they opened up the Hemingway house f- for us for an hour wow. beforehand. And we mm-hmm. went up and we went up to Hemingway's, went up these stairs to his office. And they stood there in front of his typewriter. And, 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 and Hemingway, no matter what he did the night before, he was up in the morning, early in the morning, he walked up these stairs and he wrote six or 800 words every day. That's a professional mm-hmm. writer. And, and the, the, in, in the piece on PBS, there's a quote, interesting quote from him where he's doing an interview and he says, I mean, basically, I shouldn't be talking to you. I'm a writer. <laughs> I write. I, I, I've said enough now. I, I'm a writer. <laughs> okay. Point taken. Well, before we wrap up here with your advice to scribes, um, let's, uh, yeah, let's just do a fun one. 
if you could have dinner with any author from any era at your favorite restaurant in the world, who would you take and where would you take them? Well, I would take them to, I, I, I would, obviously it's got to be Truman. There's no other choice, right? <laughs> and I'd take him down the street here in Washington to La Chimere, a French restaurant where I'm going tonight in a, in, in a private room with my family, with a, my 11 family members cele- celebrating my 80th birthday. Tomorrow is a big party tomorrow, but tonight is just yeah. for my family. So I, I, Truman, Truman could join us tonight. Truman, I don't care. You'd honor, you'd honor a member of my family, not Truman. And you'd, you'd entertain us. I mean, I mean you, you, <laughs> with you, it would be, be an incredible evening. Well, a fun, happy birthday to you. I hope it's a fantastic celebration. Um, wh- what are you going to order? Probably the duck. I'm 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 a I'm a I'm a fiend for duck. Will you will you imbibe a glass of wine, champagne, or a cocktail? Uh, wine, wine, uh, uh, red wine. wine. I don't think white wine is wine. I don't know what it is, but it's not wine. <laughs> okay. Well, um, again, I will mention the book. Okay. Uh, Capote's Women: a, a True Story of Love, Betrayal, and a Swan Song for an Era. Um, the reviews are in, and they are glowing uh congratulations on that yeah uh just your final kind of pearl of wisdom for writers on just how to persevere during tough times look look i mean i've been doing this for half a century and i've never seen so many good books as are out there now how people do it the money isn't there there's not the the reviewer uh concern there used to be for but people do it because they want to do it and it's one of the great it's one of the foundations of culture and so anybody that wants to do it i mean i please please do it there's there's room for there's more room for good work but only for good work perfect way to wrap that up lawrence thank you so much congratulations on the work um do have a magnificent birthday celebration and we appreciate your time today Okay, thank you very much. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of The Writer Files. And if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe to the show and leave us a rating or a review to help other writers out there find us. You can always leave a comment or a question and visit the entire archives at writerfiles.fm. And you can chat with me on Twitter at Kelton Reed. Cheers. Talk to you next week.